0: Good evening, friends. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, as as many of you know, by this time in the off season, as much as we complain about how little there is to talk about, uh, this is probably this is the abyss. This is the point in the off season where there's no draft talk, there's no prospect talk. Um, apologize for any echo in here today. Had to uh, change venues for the evening. Hope that's not uh, that's not too bad through the mic. But uh, this is the time of the off season that fans leak, look least forward to, because there's no football news. But the upside is that we're only a few weeks away from training camp kicking off, and uh, and I know we're all excited about that. But wanted to touch on uh, this evening. We're going to talk a little bit about the depth at receiver because that was a, a topic that popped up on Twitter this week. Uh, some daily news and ESPN folks having uh, having a go at Jets fans for their uh, their their feelings on the receiving core and saying it's a deep group. We're going to talk a little bit about the O-line, the Morgan Moses signing official. Uh, we knew it was going to get done, but the Morgan Moses signing is in the books, and we're going to look at whether or not that changes the outlook on the season. For some fans, I know for me it does. I said that before they signed Moses, that if they had, it would and it has. Uh, you know, of course, you know, we make all these assumptions based on everyone being healthy. And if if guys are healthy, I think this unit has the uh, potential to be special. So we're gonna talk about that. And uh we may touch on one or two other things. Might be a little bit shorter show today. Um we're also gonna we're also gonna take on touch on Mark Sanchez brief briefly. Because as I said, that time of year, the football abyss and uh Sanchez has His name was thrown out this week because PFF called him the worst Jets draft pick of the last 15 years, which a great many people disagreed with. And uh, I don't necessarily disagree, and I'll explain why. We'll get into that. Uh, Dylan and Alex both putting in some overtime this week in their real-life jobs, so uh, unfortunately they won't be joining us tonight. It'll be uh, for as long as we decide to go or as long as it takes us to cover the topics. Uh, so, but before we get going any further, Fit Nation Radio would like to thank our sponsor, Miles Social. That is Miles Social, M-I-L-E social.com. If you're a business owner, be it small, medium, large business, if you need help managing all the social media platforms for your business, contact Miles Social at milesocial.com. That is M-I-L-E social.com. Whether it's TikTok. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it may be, Miles Social has got you covered, M-I-L-E, social.com. All right, so this week there was some uh, some chatter about the Jets receiving core. Uh, a reporter, I want to say daily news reporter, said that the Jets were, or the Jets fans were, were kind of out of their minds because they, they think that this Jets, uh, receiving core is the best in the NFL, something along those lines. Um, I've not seen that. I've seen some people say that this is the deepest. Now, deepest doesn't necessarily mean best. Um, and I think if if you look at it objectively, um, I, I mean, I personally would have a hard time saying that you can't make a case the Jets having an insanely deep receiving core. I mean, as it stands right now, and we talked about this when they reworked his deal, Jamison Crowder is a guy who might be the fifth or sixth receiver on this team, right? And this is a guy you're talking who, you know, he's going to get you 700 yards and five or six touchdowns. He goes from being your your top slot guy to probably being you know, depending on how they deploy Elijah Moore, you know, it's, I don't like saying Elijah Moore is just a slot guy because I think he's going to play all over the place. But to say that Elijah Moore, or if if Elijah Moore, were to plant Jamison Crowder in the slot and bump him down a spot, and then maybe you know, then maybe Keelan Cole, who I you know I've said before, I don't think he's bumping Denzel. Min. I think he I think he's another guy who you know plays behind. Top three. The top three being Davis Moore and, and, and uh and and Bendel Mims. So then you have Cole, you have Crowder, who knows what happens with Berrios. But another guy, I think Keelan Cole, you know, he had what six hundred and some yards last year. And then Berrios becomes what, your seventh receiver? Sixth, seventh receiver? I mean you're talking about two guys, your fourth, fifth, sixth receivers guys who are putting up six, 700 yards when they get playing time and when they see targets. Now, I haven't looked at the depth chart of all 32 teams, but I feel pretty confident saying there aren't that many teams whose bottom two receivers, or at least they're fourth and fifth or fifth and sixth, you know, combined for 1,400 yards and 11 touchdowns last year. I just, I just don't see it. So I don't think Jets fans are crazy. To say that the Jets have one of the deepest groups in the NFL, Uh, to say they have the best is, you know, that's that's wildly, uh, I mean, talk about speculative. That's just nuts. But in terms of what's going to happen with this group, one through seven, I mean, that'll be another conversation for another day. But I think the Jets, just as is the case on the O-line and the D-line, the Jets are going to have some tough cuts to make this year because you look at this depth chart, You know, Vincent Smith is a guy who, you know, me personally, I think he can play. Um, Jeff Smith, I think the way he developed last year is another intriguing guy. Um, But now you're getting into, like, your seventh guy. And I looked at the Niners last year, uh, which obviously, you know, the Jets have some carryover from that staff. I think they only carried five receivers to start the year and four tight ends. Um, You know, again, that that could just be – they could just legitimately – look at that as those are their top guys. So they you know, keep the best guys and, and cut everyone else. But if if they don't feel the need to keep six or seven guys, uh, that's gonna that's gonna make it really interesting, uh, when the Jets make their cuts because they have again they have some really talented guys. He's got Berrios and he Berrios I would say is based on his ability to return, you know, as a return man, I think Berrios has a really good shot, especially given the fact that his name we just kept hearing it time and again during minicamp and it seemed that he was really clicking with Zach Wilson. So that that's one way to make sure you stick on the roster is develop a rapport with the young first round pick. But again, there will be some tough choices. I I still think Denzel Mims is wide receiver too, pairing with Corey Davis. And then you know what may what what can and will, in my opinion, make this team so dangerous is that when they do go four and five wide, even if they don't do it that often, uh there aren't many teams that have five guys and again, I'm with Mims. Here's the thing with Denzel Mims. Um, you know, the, it was a report that he, you know, he, he wasn't with the ones in camp for a day or two. Not a big deal in my opinion. I've heard people down on him because, you know, oh look at his numbers last year. Look at it. and it's, which is which is unfathomable to me. Because here's a guy, you know, I, we all know no camp, nobody had a camp, no preseason, nobody had a preseason. But you know, Mims starts the season injured. His hamstrings are nicked up. He's never set foot on an NFL field before. And then all of a sudden, he, you know, he sits out the first, what, six weeks of the season, and then he comes out, and in his first five games, 42 yards, 42 yards, 62 yards, 71 yards, 67 yards, like, those are solid numbers for a guy who has never played in an NFL game in his life, um, who's playing with a, you know, an older, much older Joe Flacco, Joe Flacco and a wildly inconsistent Sam Darnold. And who knows what he would have done. If, you know, you look at his you look at his targets after his first six games. You know, game two, we didn't see many. But game one, seven targets. Game two, we only had three. And he goes eight, seven, eight. So with the exception of one game, he's seen seven targets a game. After that, he didn't see more than four targets in a game for the rest of the year. Three targets, four targets, two targets, two targets. So when the guy was given opportunities he produced, and with the addition of Corey Davis, with the addition of Elijah Moore, you better believe you know last year when Mims was on the field, you could make a case that he was one of the he he was their best receiver at times and may, maybe the production dipped because the uh the defenses started paying closer attention to him well whatever the reason, the targets weren't there, but when the targets were there, the production was there. I fully expect him to be the, the uh the number two receiver and um let's see, yeah, so. I think this talk of the Jets, you know, Jets fans being out of their minds for thinking that this group group is deep, I think is uh, a little bit out of line. Uh, Again, best group, that's silly. Deepest group, you can make a case. Uh, You know, I came up with these topics uh, not long ago, so I didn't have the time. I, I wish I'd given myself the time to go and look at some of the other teams who are, you know, perceived to have the best depth in the NFL and see how many of them can claim, you know, two guys at the bottom of their depth chart. Uh, and we're not talking, you know, we're not talking washed up guys who put up seven hundred yards a few years ago. These are two guys still in their prime who put up six, seven hundred yards last year. So to have those guys as receivers four and five, I'll take that any day of the week. And then of course, while Braxton Berrios has been inconsistent, if he's your you know, if he's wide receiver seven on your depth chart, and again, you know, he has that return ability, he was a guy who had just under four hundred yards last year. So what is that? That's, you're talking 1,500 yards and I think 15 touchdowns between the three guys at the bottom of your depth chart. I'll take it. I'll take it. And I would, like I said, I'd be willing to bet there aren't many teams that stack up in that department. It's, it's, a, it's a position where the Jets are going to have a lot of depth. And it's, that's not the only one. The, you know, the three spots right now, the Jets fans are talking about and rightfully so. Receiver, D-line, O-line. The depth is, is phenomenal at all three. It, of course, you know, assuming the rookies play well, but we're talking about two guys in Elijah Vera Tucker, of course, who the Jets traded up for in the first round, and Elijah Moore, who universally, I, I've, I've not heard a single, and I get it, no guarantees anyone can bust, blah, 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 blah. All we can do at this point is talk about what these guys are projected to be at the next level. And I've not heard a single person say that they don't see these guys being star players. Elijah Vera Tucker, we talked about Daniel Jeremiah commenting, saying, you know, cleanest prospect in the draft. If there's anyone who's going to be a player, it's him. Elijah Moore, Jets, we, we saw it on a, on a Flight 2021. Elijah Moore was the 16th rated player on their board. I've said it, I said a few weeks ago, I've never watched a Jets rookie receiver who I have as much confidence in as I do Elijah Moore. I just, I watch him and I don't feel at all, I don't look at his game and think of all the things he has to get better at in order to become a good NFL receiver. He already does the things you need to do. The explosion and the hands, the ability to create separation, there is zero reason to expect him not to make. The only way a guy like that doesn't make it is if he steps on an NFL field for the first time and he gets lit up and all of a sudden, you know, and I've said this before, some guys, they, they come from college, they've, you know, they've been getting hit by college players their whole lives and getting rocked by an NFL player might change their outlook on the game. I don't see that happening with this kid. I don't, and there there's nothing anyone can point to and say, oh, well, here's why he won't make it. And I understand things happen that you don't foresee. I get it. But based on what we know about him, based on what we've seen from him in college, and how many times have we said it on this show, his pro comp Antonio Brown from a few different, uh, from a few different analysts. So you plug that guy in, you get him on the field with this group, and uh, it could be – they have the ability to be special. Right along with – and this is what I wanted to, wanted to touch on, but I mentioned at the top with Morgan Moses being official – the offensive line. This offensive line now, with Morgan Moses on board, has the ability. They're not as good as the twenty, you know, the two thousand nine, two thousand ten group, obviously. But they have the opportunity. They have the ability to be not that far behind them, especially if AVT does pan out. If he pans out, assuming he plays at a high level as a rookie, I'm not saying I'm not saying all world as a rookie. I'm saying an above average player, which is I I think that's what most people are expecting at this point. They're expecting A V T to come in there and be a above average player at left guard. Makai Becton, he's just gotta stay healthy. McGovern, we expect to, you know, see a little bit of a leap back to the player he was before last year. Right guard is gonna be, I think there's gonna be about seven guys trying out for that spot. I think it ends up being Van Roten. And then Moses at right tackle. I mean, that group, as I said, you know, at the time, the last time the Jets had a quarterback, they took this high um, with an offensive line close to this good. They went to back-to-back AFC championship games. And that was with Mark Sanchez. And we're going to get on to Mark Sanchez here in a minute. But for me personally, it's the way I look at this with the addition of Morgan Moses, this changes my expectations for this team. I think you now have enough let's say you have enough players on that o line who will range anywhere from very good let's even say good from good to dominant on any given day now that you look at you look at years past that offensive line with guys like Brian winters and an you know an aging james carpenter and the revolving you know the Breno Giacomini's of the world at right tackle. Like the last six, seven years, that offensive line, more more often than not, like the ceiling on that line was, you know, their best day would be kind of above average. Most days below average when they came out and they were clicking and played their best football, slightly above average group. That should be the floor for this current group. Like this team's worst day on the O-line would be – about as good as the best day that these groups in recent years have had. And as we say, everyone's, listen, there's not a football fan in the world who doesn't say it. It all starts up front. Offense and defense. This defensive line is going to be insane. And the offensive line shouldn't be far behind. And those two groups can work off of each other in practice, help each other get better. And I think that with this O line, if Zach Wilson, because listen, This defense isn't going to be, or the secondary, I should say, won't be as good as that 2009-2010 team. They just won't. But if the quarterback is better, the offense should be better. Zach Wilson's going to have a stud right tackle, an average to above-average right guard, an average to above-average center, and what we expect to be an above-average to dominant left guard and an above average to dominant left tackle. That's enough to work with, folks. That's enough to move the football, and and the targets are there. He's got the targets. There should be no issue with the weapons, as long as everybody's healthy. He's going to have time to throw. He's going to have guys to throw, too. Emory Hunt, who I'm going to try to get Emory back on, because we've had him on a couple times. Emory Hunt, a football game plan. He said it the other day. He's like, "If if this Jets team is healthy, They're going to score a lot of points. And I've tried, you know, to be kind of conservative all offseason, and I've liked a lot of the moves, but I don't want the expectations to get unrealistic. But this team is basically going to come down to how corners play. That's it. That's the only spot on this roster that you look at and say, that's a liability. Some people say linebacker. I'm honestly not as worried about linebacker. I think Mosley is gonna be absolutely fine. I think Davis is gonna be a nice addition on the outside. And then whoever wins the other side wins the outside job opposite Davis. Isn't gonna be a superstar, but that's just kind of the way it goes. You're not gonna have a superstar at every spot. Does Ashton Davis bounce back? Stay healthy and play well next to Marcus May? That remains to be seen. But you can't point to a position, you know, like I said, questions at linebacker, absolutely. Big questions at corner, hell yeah. But beyond that, this team has got some really good players. And, you know, these running backs, again, if this O-line clicks, it starts up front. And the Jets have the horses up front now with the addition of Morgan Moses to get it done. And to me, that means... This team's got to win seven, eight, nine games. And when you win that many games, that means you're in the playoff hunt late in the year. That means those final three or four games of the season mean something. So Emory Hunt kind of put it, you know, worded it perfectly the other day. This team could flirt with a playoff spot. And that's kind of where I am. I said it before they signed Morgan Moses that if they signed him, this could be a playoff team. And, and, you know, the interesting thing with with the O-line and with George Fant, and I talked about that, would Fant be pissed off if they signed Morgan Moses? And I wouldn't blame him if he was. I wasn't saying that I knew he would be, but I was saying it was something to consider. But the more I think about it, and I I said this jokingly um, after the Moses signing, but maybe, given the lack of of, uh, proven players the Jets have at tight end, maybe you see him line up in jumbo packages. Like, a lot. Maybe early on the Jets say, look, we have the O-line, we have the running backs, and we have a rookie quarterback. Let's, for the first four or five or six weeks of the season, let's take baby steps and let's just run it and run it and run it and run it. Let Zach throw when he has to, but let's let him develop slowly, keep some games close, win some games late, and, and let this kid grow. And to me, that's the perfect plan. I hope that is the plan. I feel like getting Morgan Moses gives you an opportunity to execute that plan because you sure as hell had better be able to run the football now. And if you can run the ball, keep defenses honest, you can win football games. And we saw that back in 2009 with Mark Sanchez, which Sanchez will be the, the final topic of the show tonight um, like I said we, we were going to do a top 25 we were going to rank the Jets top 20 or I, I don't know if we'd settled on 20 or 25 I think 20 top 20 players on the roster uh, looks like we'll push that back to next week if I I may have to sit next week out as well folks just so you know in advance that'll be a Dylan and Alex show um, I'll try to call in but anyway, that's that's for next week we'll see what happens there but I wanted to touch on this, this Mark Sanchez thing. Now, I saw a thing from PFF, and I didn't read the article. I tweeted about it, and I've still not read the article. So this is, uh, if this is what the article says or if this is their angle, I promise you this is not me plagiarizing. I don't know what their rationale was. But Pro Football Focus said that Mark Sanchez was the Jets' worst draft pick of the last 15 years. Now, that's saying a lot because they've had some bad ones. Golston, of course, should be at the top of everyone's list. Quentin Copeland not far behind. D. Milner. I mean, Milner, I, I hate banging guys for injuries, you know. Beyond this control. But either way, the Jets have had a ton of terrible first-round picks in recent years. So how do you justify Mark Sanchez? Four time, four, or, one, four playoff games, all on the road, Only quarterback in NFL history to do it. Beat Peyton Manning head-to-head. Beat Tom Brady head-to-head. How in the world could you say Mark Sanchez was the Jets' worst draft pick of the last 15 years? And that was my initial reaction. But then I thought about it and said, well, hang on a second. If we get away from the stats for a minute, just look at the impact. What did each player being drafted mean for the Jets? In my mind, what drafting Mark Sanchez did was it took a Super Bowl-ready football team and gave them a quarterback who was not Super Bowl-ready. And I've, I've said for years, I said this, I said it half-jokingly at the time, but I kind of, in, in my heart of hearts, I felt like it was right, and I would stick by it today. This is before Fitz, Ryan Fitzpatrick was ever a Jet I think I tweeted it out. I think there's a tweet out there in the Twitterverse somewhere when I said in 2009 or 2010, somewhere in there, if the Jets had Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback, they would win the Super Bowl. Like, that's how good that team was. They just had the guy who could get the ball in the end zone more often than he turned it over. And Mark Sanchez was not that guy. Mark Sanchez, in my opinion is the reason why the Jets didn't win one, if not two, Super Bowls. So from that perspective, that would make him a worse pick than anybody else. Vernon Goldston didn't cost the Jets any Super Bowls. Dee Milner didn't cost the Jets any Super Bowls. They just didn't. Oh, but glad he played out the playoffs. Look at the playoff games. He played so well. Let's be honest here. Mark Sanchez against the Bengals. And that playoff – and look, I'm not saying Sanchez didn't have any good playoff games. That playoff game against the Patriots remains the the best Jets game I've ever watched in my life. If I ever get the chance to bump into Mark Sanchez, I will shake his hand and buy him a beer and thank him for that win. This is – you know, this is this is – when you're a Jets fan, that's the best you can do, a playoff win. Other teams celebrate Super Bowl wins. I got to celebrate a playoff win that led to nothing. But that was fantastic. That one day, that game. The rest of those playoff games, or some of the, some, some of those playoff games, you got the win against San Diego. What do you go for? A hundred yards that game? A hundred and one? I mean, th- this was two thousand nine, folks, not nineteen oh nine. Pardon me, 2009, he throws for 100 yards in a playoff game. And fans are like, oh, look, he led us to a win. Led. He got dragged to that win. Your quarterback throws for 100 yards. And, I mean, people talk about Mark Sanchez like he went to these playoff games and just carried this Jet team up and down the field and stomped everyone who got in their way. But the fact of the matter is, just, just ask Mark Sanchez in most of those games, dude, just don't screw it up. Don't, we've got this. We have the O-line. We have the running game. We have the defense. Just do us a favor and don't screw up. Don't turn the ball over and we can win, and we can win some of these games. You look at, you look at that game, his first playoff game, Against the Bengals. Did he did he have himself, you know, a nice stat line? I'm, I'm going to pull it up right now. I forget the exact stat line on Sanchez from that game. Uh, against Cincinnati, he threw 15 passes. They did everything they could to hide him. 15 passes. <clears throat> they ran it over 40 times. And the re- he completed twelve of fifteen. You know why? <laughs> play action. When you're running it at a three to one clip, and your O line is so dominant that the defense can't stop you, even when they know it's coming, they're loading, stacking boxes, run blitzing all day. Play action. Ding, dunk, ding, dunk. Had a big, had a big throw to Dustin Keller down the right sideline off of play action. Had a short little, what a, a little uh, a swing pass I think it was to Keller on the left, and Keller took it a million yards for a score. And it beefs up his numbers. Oh, look, you know, average yards per completion is fantastic. Yeah, he hit a guy at a swing pass who took it a million yards, and he dinked and dunked a bunch of play-action passes when the team ran it. Listen, if you're a franchise quarterback, you don't hide the guy. You don't sit down and game plan and go, how in the world can we win this game without letting this guy throw the football? How can we win without letting him throw it? And that's what the Jets have to do with Sanchez. 40-plus th- runs, 15 passes. Rex Ryan said this, folks. Within the last year, I wish I'd kept the uh, – the, the, I saw the headline. I didn't even read the full article. Saw the headline. I read one or two quotes, and Ryan basically said, do you think I was ground the pound because I wanted to be? Like, I didn't have a quarterback. Of course I was ground the pound. He had a quarterback and completed 50% of his passes in the, in the regular season, 53%, whatever it was. So after, after they hide Mark Sanchez in the first playoff game and run the ball 40 times, they go into San Diego and they pull out a last-second win. Sanchez throws for 100 yards, completes 52%. I mean, come on. We really losing our minds over this? 52% completion percentage and 100 yards. 12 of 23 The Jets won that game because of their defense and the run game. That's why they won that game. Then they go into Indy. He played a team that could score. You knew the Jets were done. Sanchez wasn't going to – he threw a bomb early to score to Braylon Edwards and then scored 10 points the rest of the way. That was it. Then the following year, they go into Indy, round one. Mark Sanchez throws zero touchdowns and an interception. And the Jets win because defense and special teams. They held Manning. Falk hits a big field goal. And don't get me wrong. Sanchez made a big throw. He did. I mean, he's, listen, he's an NFL quarterback. Every 40 or 50 times you throw a ball, you're going to make a big one. So he made a big throw to put them in field goal range. Congrats on that. And then they go into New England, and he plays the most important game I've seen as a Jets fan in my life and wins it. And thank you for that, Mark, forever. I owe you a beer. And then the following week, he goes into Pittsburgh, lays a goose egg in the first half. Well, no, they got that field goal right before the half. Hands the the Steelers a, a touchdown. That was another one of Sanchez's issues. No pocket awareness, no pocket presence. Pittsburgh blitzes, Brick gets beat, Sanchez has no idea, ball gets ripped out, Pittsburgh picks it up, runs it back the other way for a touchdown. And then he comes out in the second half, and to be fair, is absolutely lights out. But since he handed Pittsburgh the seven and couldn't move the ball for the first half outside of the final drive, it wasn't enough. I have people telling me, The Jets lost that game because the defense couldn't get off the field. The defense is playing a future Hall of Fame quarterback on the road, in the playoffs. And they give up 17 points. And they had a safety in that game, if I'm not mistaken. So really, a net of 15. Because the other seven was on Sanchez. So the defense goes in, gives up a net of 15 points. And I got people telling me the defense lost that game for the Jets. Right. Because that, that, that's, that's a normal expectation for, a, for, for an NFL football team going on the road against a Hall of Fame quarterback uh, with the Super Bowl on the line, a chance to go to the Super Bowl on the line. You give up net 15 points. Well, you should have done better defense. It's, it's your fault we lost that game. Why didn't you give up 10 points? I mean, Jesus, 15 points. Mark Sanchez puts up a, a goose egg before a last-second field goal in the first half. And I, and I get it. It came down to a final play where the Jets didn't get off the field. But, hey, maybe maybe your, your super-awesome, great quarterback, who everybody loves, maybe if you found a way to put a touchdown on the board in the first half, Or maybe just not hand the other team a touchdown. How about that? So that's that's me on Mark Sanchez. I don't – listen, like I said, biggest win I've witnessed as a Jet fan of my lifetime. I'll always appreciate it. But there's a reason why the Jets let him go. And there's a reason why he played with 50 teams after that and nobody hung on to him. And there's a reason why he retired, you know, by NFL standards, pretty damn early. I mean, he's really still young enough to be playing. He's 34 years old, but the league figured him out. One read quarterback. One, I mean, the guy had weapons. He had protection. He had, a, he had the best line in the NFL. He had Holmes. He had Keller. He had Braylon. He had a running game. And he's completing 53% of his passes, 54% of his passes. Give me a break. Two years with the Eagles, one year with Dallas, one year with the Redskins. Gone. Out of the NFL. And I'm I'm looking here. Yeah, twice he had more touchdowns than interceptions. And one of them was 14 touchdowns, 11 with Philly. Again, part-time, though. Eight starts, two starts. Hey, listen. There's a reason he's out of the league. His numbers with the Jets were abysmal. And the 2010 season, to me, really kind of that was what what put the nail on the coffin for me, you know. As time passed and I went back and looked, because I'd kind of forgotten, to be honest. And this this is a a key thing I'll touch on real quick. The Jets had, I'm I'm going to look at it now because I I always forget the exact number. So we got one, two, three. Three games that team lost that year, where the defense. Gave up 10 points or less. 10 points or less. And they lost three of them. And they won 11 games. That team should have been 14-2. and Possibly going into the first round with a bye. But Mark Sanchez couldn't put up 12 points against the Ravens. He couldn't put up 10 points against the Packers. And he couldn't put up Another 12 against the Dolphins. They lost to the Dolphins 10-6. They lost to the Packers 9-0. And they lost to the Ravens 10-9. That's a franchise quarterback. That's a great quarterback. Show me how many many times did Peyton Manning lose three games in a season where his team, where his defense gave up nine points, ten points. It probably never happened, if we're being honest. Tom Brady? How many times do you think Brady lost a game nine nothing? Or ten to six? Or ten to nine. So this is what I mean when I say this was a Super Bowl ready team that had a quarterback who was not Super Bowl ready. Probably really wasn't NFL ready. But his defense and his special teams and his running game dragged him to a few big wins. And we're forever going to have to hear about how, oh, Mark Sanchez is so clutch in the playoffs. The time that he won a game when they ran the ball 48,000 times and threw it four times. The time against the Chargers when he threw for 100 yards. Sorry, folks. I'm sure he's a nice guy and all. But if I'm looking at it from the perspective, if I'm looking at every single first-round pick for the last 15 years, and I say, how many of those guys are the reason why the Jets didn't win a Super Bowl? That's an easy answer, folks. That is none other than Mark Sanchez. And that is it for me this week on Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, We look forward to you catching up with us next week. As I said, I will probably not be around. I will be in London this week, uh, leaving in the morning. And uh, don't really follow the soccer. But uh, but the wife does, and uh, a lot of my coworkers do. So I watched the game tonight. Uh, So congratulations to England, making it to the finals for the Euros. I think that's what they call it, the European Championship or something like that. Uh, and they're in the final, uh, the final game. They're playing in Italy, I think, Italy or Spain, somebody like that. Um, but I'll be in London during the game, so I'll probably be in a bar, uh, probably enjoying the reaction of the fans more than the game itself if uh, England were to pull it off. so uh, So good luck to them, and we will catch you next week, Jets fans. Until then, have a good one. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at JetNationRadio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!